The end. Oh wait, no, um, that's not really the end. Um, I do think that that tends to be a lot of people's favorite part of the sermon. Um, but uh, the end that we're talking about today is, uh, is, is a different end. Maybe, uh, maybe you've seen a cartoon or maybe you've actually seen a person wearing one of these. The end is near, right? Can you see the guy in the background? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, I chuckled. Um, but uh, his, his placard says the end, just you know, in case you can't see that. Uh, the end is near. Um, but uh, when we think about that in terms of the church here, and we think about that in terms of what, uh, what our scripture lessons are talking about, this day when Christ returns and, uh, uh, and there's an end, it's not that the end is near, but that the end is here. And it's here in two senses. Um, one of them has to do with the end of all things. Uh, it's somewhere around 1970, um, there was a, a guy, I believe his name was Tim LaHaye, who issued a book that was called The Late Great Planet Earth. Does that sound vaguely familiar? And I remember a lot of conversations when I was growing up. I was born in 72, and uh, there was almost this... Uh, Boy, I don't know if you would call it a, a fever or just kind of this, this heavy sense that the end is coming. And, you know, maybe some of you remember that. And I remember lots and lots of conversations about, you know, the mark of the beast and, and all of these things that proved that the Soviet Union was, you know, this, that, or the other thing in the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, and then in the 1990s, 95 through, actually through 2007, uh, there was the Left Behind series of books. Maybe you saw some of those. Maybe you've read some of those. I've read some of them. Um, and, and there's just this, you know, what's going to happen, you know, in the end. And, um, you know, it, it really kind of gets the story wrong. You know, it, it kind of presents this image that everything's going to go along and, and there's going to be these series of events that show that the end is near. But really, the end is here. And it has been ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. That's the end. He's won the victory. He's setting all things right. But does, does, does our life feel like that end has come when everything's perfect again and there's the new creation and everything is resurrected and beautiful and perfect? No. And so there is this sense that the end is coming still, that the end is, is near. You have kind of the, this tension that we live in. We are in the end times because Christ has ascended and he reigns in glory. And we're headed to the resurrection. And the resurrection is actually already at work in us. God's salvation is settled and it's at work in you. And the new creation is now. And the new creation is coming. And, and, and God is working in all of this and kind of this tension of it's here now, but it's here not yet. But there's another sense that, you know, that the end is here, and that is, that is the end of the church here. You know, we are a little bit out of sync with the, uh, the calendar year because uh, we start with a season that's called Advent. Uh, it's a penitential season to prepare us for Christmas, for celebrating Jesus' birth. And so today we're going we're gonna to decorate the church. So when we come in here next week, there's going to be, you know, garland and there'll be candles and, and, you know, 
our church is so pretty when we get it all decorated for Christmas, and uh, I always look forward to that. And I'm always a little bit sad when Epiphany comes around and we have to take it all back down. Um, but uh, we're going to get ready to celebrate Christ's birth. But Christ is born, right? Christ has come. He has come, and we are waiting for him to come. And so we have this kind of now-not-yet thing going on again. And so when you come in here next Sunday, it'll be the first Sunday of Advent. The blue paraments will be up, uh, and uh, we'll be preparing for Christmas to remember our Savior who came, who came to be judged on our behalf. And that's important because when we think about the end, we often think about like the judgment day. But we don't have to fear that day. Because our Savior come to, came to be judged on our behalf. Christ has come. And he is coming again to deliver that salvation fully to us. And that day is soon, but apparently God's definition of soon is different than ours, right? Because the ascension day was not quite 2,000 years ago. And when we look at our scripture readings, they reveal something important to us about our life as we wait for Christ to come again. As we live in this hope that he has come, that he has set all things right, and that all of this will be fulfilled when he comes again. And and that is that we must resist this temptation to be lulled into a, a type of sleep, a forgetfulness that makes us think that this world is all that there is. But in truth, that there, there is more to, to life than what this world can offer us. There is more to life than what can be observed, measured, quantified. There are things that are more real than our world tells us really matters. It's a tension that we live in. The end is here, but it isn't fully come yet. Our salvation has come, and we're waiting for Jesus to come and to save us. So what do you do do with a tension like that? Well, it's kind of in our nature to try to resolve tension. You know, okay, we're going to figure it out. And some of the ways that people have done that over the years is politically, you know, they, they've said, well, Jesus hasn't come back yet, so what we need to actually do is kind of set up his kingdom here on earth. And so what we will do is we're going to take the Ten Commandments, we're going to make them the law of the land, and we're going to establish a form of morality that's rooted in, in the Old Testament, and we're going to make sure that we impose that on everyone. Now, question. Is morality good? Okay, that, good, I'm glad. I, I, I was hoping that would be an easy question. Is imposing it on people always good? No. And the reason that the answer is no is because that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. He came to establish a kingdom that's rooted in grace. Earthly kingdoms, earthly kingdoms require coercion. They require force. They require violence. But the kingdom of God comes in a different way. It comes to bring forgiveness. It transforms people so that, yeah, we're still in this sinful position where we're going to operate out of fear. And it's good to fear the Lord. 
But hopefully there are times in our lives where we do what is right because we love. That this salvation has worked in us so that we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We love our neighbors, and so we do what is right. Well, where do we learn what's right? In God's law. He teaches us. And so we conform our lives not out of fear and out of force, but out of love for him and love for our neighbor. Because since God designed this life, he kind of has a clear sense of how it's supposed to work. And we get to share that with people. This hope and this joy that we have in Christ that changes our relationship with him. Jesus established a kingdom of grace. A kingdom of forgiveness. It transforms our lives and it makes us so we want to follow our ways. And, and the embodiment, uh, embodiment of that is here. It's you, the church. But we don't, we don't bring God's kingdom by forcing people to o- obey the laws that are posted in the scriptures. Other people, they kind of look at it a little bit differently and they kind of take this utopian idealism that if we just fight back against all forms of oppression and injustice, then we can usher in a golden age of enlightenment. Now, I guess I need to time time out on that too. Is it good to fight back against oppression and injustice? Yes. Will that usher in God's kingdom? No, no, it won't. Justice and goodness are good things. And, and, you know, the thing is, we're not going to make this into heaven. The utopian ideals always fall flat on their faces because you know why? They include people. And people are sinners. You know, as hard as we try to make earth into heaven, it isn't going to happen. Because, you know, there's this saying in this song that, that I like, it, and it goes, wherever I have gone, I was sure to find myself there. <laughs> and we carry our sin with us into these situations so that no matter how we politically strive for some kind of a utopia, it isn't going to happen. There is no evidence that this works. We bring a type of justice that's rooted in sin when we establish justice ourselves. See, we are the problem. And the solution is God's intervention. The heart of humanity is always plagued by sin, and it is deceptive beyond all things. And so our hope is is not that this world can somehow become heaven by our efforts, but that God comes and he establishes a new creation, that he has established a new creation that's already at work in us. So hear what he says to you, what he said to his people long ago, and he continues to say to us. He says, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice For a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and my arm they wait. Where do you see God's justice? You see it on the cross, where sin is justly punished, where the Son of God comes and he stands in our place to take the punishment that rightly would fall on us. That's justice right there. 
And in that justice, God gives us righteousness. A righteousness that comes to us through faith in Christ. Through Christ who has come near to us. Who lives among us through his word and the sacraments. And he delivers salvation through his death. But did he stay dead? Okay, that's an easy one too. He rose. And he gives us his salvation. And that work was done by his arms. Nailed to the tree. This earth, it vanishes like smoke. It wears out like a garment. But what lasts forever is Christ and his promises. Jesus talks about it this way. He says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He's talking about a world that's in turmoil. Do we live in a world that's in turmoil? Yeah, absolutely. Ecologically, politically, morally, spiritually, turmoil all around us. But there's a temptation in that, that we just throw up our hands and give up. But God promises my salvation will be forever. My righteousness will not be dismayed. Even if we are, he's not dismayed. He's not dashed to pieces or terrified. That's how you can translate that word dismayed. God can handle it. He's not shocked. He's not surprised by the shootings, the pollutions, the machinations, the hopelessness, the unbelief. He knows what to do. In fact, he has done it. He gave his son and he calls for repentance and he gives forgiveness through faith in Jesus. He comforts, guides, and keeps us by his spirit and he works with certainty to that last day when the new creation comes in its fullness and we get to experience full holiness, perfection, as he designed it. And so we live with this hope that he who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy through the only true God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to him be glory majesty, dominion, and authority. And in the meantime, God charges us. Stay awake. Stay awake. Do the work that God has given you to do. And what is that work? Share the hope we have in Christ. Speak and act in the turmoil. Thus says the Lord to remember to remind that the Savior has come and that there is hope to work as agents of God's kingdom of grace to draw people into the kingdom, to fight the good fight, and to trust that Jesus has won the victory. Amen.